The Zooier Than Thou podcast contains mature content and language and may not be suitable for younger audiences. Thanks for your understanding. Zooier Than Thou is on. You can join the howl. Zooier Than Thou is on. You can join the howl. Greetings and salutations, friends and fellow zoos. Our warmest welcome to the latest full moon episode of Zooier Than Thou 6.0. I'm still Fausty, that zoo who shows unwavering defiance in the face of bigotry, hatred, and also stage four metastatic malignant melanoma. And I'm still not dead, damn it. <laughs> and I'm Toggle, a 400 pound incel with no balls. <laughs> As has become traditional, we'll be your co-hosts for this episode's adventures and escapades. Oh, wow, what a week. Indeed, my friend. Indeed, it has been one heck of a week. Oh, well, with Zooier Than Thou growing from a novel idea into, well, into something that means a lot to a lot of zoos around the world, there's been real pressure behind the scenes to keep setting high standards and to keep meeting them. That's not just about what gets produced, the podcast but also about how we get there and how we work with each other along the way. Everyone working to make this podcast what it is wants to see it keep doing good things, and everybody has different ideas about what it takes to do it. Apart from providing cheesy puns and gratuitously zooey in-jokes, it's largely my job here on the podcast to keep the process side of things running smoothly, from task admin tools all the way through scheduling procedures. Along the way, I do my best to set a good example in how I work with others and in how we collectively as a team work with each other. When things fall apart in that regard, I know it's time to hit the brakes and make sure we go back and get it right. This week I did just that, and we've taken some time to step back, evaluate where we're at as a team, and decide on what needs to be improved. And more than that, Fausty, you yourself have felt like things were not right. And some of that actually came down to a discussion you and I had about, shall we say, a somewhat esoteric question of grammatical analysis, of all things. Uh, yep, that's not wrong. Uh, I got to where I had, frankly, lost confidence in how I've been managing things. And I also got to feeling like we as a team were losing sight of some of what's central to everything we strive for in this podcast. Mutual respect, a celebration of our shared diversity, community engagement, rigorous analysis, and perhaps above all else, a shared sense of belonging, well-being, and safety. Once we run astray there, I know from my experience as a leader and as a zoo that we're not going to make the durable, meaningful progress that's so important to us all. No question that you take that stuff seriously. This week, you stopped dead in your tracks and meticulously picked through every element of what we were doing. Uh, I hope by now that you feel like those worries are put to rest or at least put into a place where you don't feel that there are barriers to the future? Well, yes. Yes, I do. Mm. I feel like we've made some important progress, and personally, I am honored by and grateful for the support, kindness, loyalty, dedication, and caring I've received from so many friends and colleagues on this project and in our community this past couple weeks. I've learned a lot about what it takes to nurture a spectacularly effective project management culture within our zoo world. And I've learned from my own mistakes in approaching things uh, like I would as a leader of a tech project, as opposed to what we're doing here as a zoo project, for lack of a better right. term. Uh, overall, it's been humbling, uh, challenging, also frightening, 
and inspiring in the end empowering uh that's a lot of ings but it's been a lot of week (laughs) yeah you can get a bit lost in the ings big fella it's okay (laughs) well and it's not all just broad generalizations and vague platitudes my standard practice i promise we're also (laughs) moving forward with some in the future components of zero than thou that i think we've all agreed are ripe for rollout oh yeah yeah absolutely sometimes it's not easy to keep up with how fast this podcast has gone from an idea and into something bigger than any of us individually which is what it is now and without further ado uh let's jump forward to what's on the agenda for tonight my gonad challenged colleague (laughs) i see you sitting over there rolling your eyes at my too many words blather and my uniquely historical perspective (laughs) honestly fasty it's a pleasure to hear it right now after this week, so... <laughs> okay, well, uh, just between you and I, Double Dog secret for now, but we're experimenting with some more formal ways that listeners can participate more directly in bringing each episode together. Like, we're asking for help in producing transcripts of each episode. I do that now in my <laughs> spare time. Which, in other words, means it doesn't really get done because you just don't actually have any more spare time at this point. <laughs> exactly, I don't. And that's okay, since more of my time goes into other parts of the podcast nowadays. So that's one place we're grateful for listener help. If you want to lend a Paul, let us know. Same goes for, uh, let's see, translations. Yep. Already a few folks offering to pitch in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been testing out a contributor's chat to create a space to work with everyone, helping out with the podcast, operationally, voice talent, outreach, uh, financially. Mm-hmm. Everyone who cares enough to make it sing, basically, is the idea. That would be our contributor group. Uh, in in right. addition to that, uh, I've just begun testing out some collaboration tools in addition to that Telegram contributor's chat. Uh, I'm playing around with uh, using GitHub to fine-tune transcripts and translations, for one example. Uh, And uh, given that, we're always keen to hear from folks who might be able to help us out with tech admin tasks. Uh, In the end, and although I'm doing okay right now, I do have terminal cancer. And given that, it is essential that we avoid bottlenecks and dependencies on me in order to ensure long-range project success. We need to expand our tech admin bench to make a long story short. So let me know if you swim in those waters and if you might be able to pitch in. Uh, yes, Toggle, I see you raising your hand over there like a kid in junior high. What's up? Oh, my God. Piss off, you silly old dog. <laughs> uh, can you update everyone on your cancer situation? I know some of what makes things <sighs> emotionally charged sometimes <clears throat> with you is that you've got this whole other thing going on behind the scenes. And maybe it's good for you to open some of that stuff up instead of doing those stiff upper lip de- demonstrations. Honestly, I suck at stiff upper lip anyway. <laughs> Too much of a crybaby to pull that off. So who's kidding who? I mean, realistically. Oh. Uh, so, yes, uh, cancer. Let's see. Two weeks ago, I went in for a radiation treatment uh, of a lesion that had appeared uh, in my cerebellum. That's the brain area that controls things like balance, movement, breathing, and so on. So far, that treatment appears to have been successful, though it wasn't quite as much fun to have gamma rays focused into my brain for an hour as it might sound like up front. (laughs) Mm, Which is to say, it wasn't much fun at all. It doesn't sound fun at all. (laughs) Yeah, it was even less fun than it sounds. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm still receiving, in addition to that, uh, adjuvant-targeted chemotherapy, which is supposed to control further spread of the melanoma tumors elsewhere in my body. And so far, that's also been successful. 
Uh, overall, I, I'm not dead, uh, which is a good thing. And overall, I could be, and in fact have been, much, much sicker than I am right now. That's a good thing as well. Uh, what happens next? Nobody knows. That's the simple truth of it. I could be dead in two weeks, or I could be alive two decades from now. Nobody really knows. Now, and meanwhile, you're staying active, aren't you? Uh, right, yes, uh, active. I'm in training for a 50-kilometer uh, trail ultramarathon in uh, November in Virginia. That is something I used to do when I was younger, though it's been a few decades. <laughs> Admittedly, it's an optimistic goal with terminal cancer and chemo. Um, uh, that said, I'm doing everything I can to turn that goal into a tangible accomplishment. Uh, and uh, in that context, I'm deeply grateful to everyone who has taken time to share their thoughts, advice, encouragement, and motivational stories along the way. I can tell you I'd never have survived this long with cancer or gotten this far uh, living with cancer without all of that from everybody who has been supportive. And uh, overall, uh, that has reminded me just what it means to be part of a genuine community, a community with shared goals and group loyalty and a real collective dedication to making the world a happier, healthier, wilder, funnier, frankly, zooier place for everyone. You people really do fucking rock, all of you. And I mean that. That's not just something written on a script. That's actually true. Yeah, dude. Um, there have been people that have stepped in and had kind words and support and encouragement for me uh, out of the blue sometimes sometimes people have known for decades that has been the difference between life and death for me more times than i can count this year uh even within that amazing extraordinary support i've received i wanted to offer a special thanks to a certain d and also a longer term Lifetime thanks to a certain R. Uh, these are two extraordinary gentlemen amidst an extraordinary community, and I just don't have words to thank them for what they've done. Overall, thank you so much, everyone, for what you've shared. I am profoundly honored by everything that has uh, been shared with me and the support that I have received. Namaste. This whole project is about you, Zoo Nation, and we're thinking of you every step of the way. And in that spirit, let's tackle a couple of emails. First up, we've got one from... The Wondering the Wolf. The Wondering Wolf. Yes. The Wondering Wolf, yes. The Wolf writes, I'm quite new to the zoo community and see myself as at least an ally, if not a zoophile myself. I listened to this episode after talking to Toggle on Twitter and being recommended to listen to it since I was asking about pride and experiences about being a zoo. He's talking about the Zoo Pride episode. Uh, I may not have gotten to know you, Fausty, but I know how important it is to embrace being yourself and to listen to others. I thank you for being open and genuine, and I thank the podcast in general for giving Zoophiles a voice that otherwise may not be heard. Take care, stay safe, and of course, stay zooey. That makes me smile in so, in so <laughs> many ways. Um, whether you're wandering or wandering wolf, your welcome is... Okay, look, I ran out of alliterative W's and I couldn't really finish that sentence <laughs> with alliteration. <laughs> uh, w's. Uh, anyhow, welcome uh, welcome to our new zoo. Uh, or new zoo ally, at least. Uh, now, right. for those who missed it, I actually did bite the bullet and start a personal zoo Twitter account last month. And it's been kind of a blast, which I didn't really expect. 
So this fella did actually contact me and ask me, apropos of nothing, uh, what being Zoom meant to me and when I first realized I was Zoo, et cetera, et cetera. And so I simply pointed him to the podcast from Zoo Pride Day. Yeah, me, I'm actually too scared to get on Twitter. <laughs> it's just it's too technical and complex for me, and I'm not actually good with computers. <laughs> oh my God. Very sad. Fasting, you dork. He's been on Twitter since, <laughs> like, before Twitter started or something. Handle at LeCant Spink. He also helps run the at Cross Species Twitter account and the Bigots Blacklist with a Z there for bigots. Since he won't say it, I will. What with terminal cancer and all that, he's been barely on Twitter since the spring. So if you tried to contact him and he didn't reply, please don't be pissed at him. There's all sorts of ways to contact him listed on his website. You can get there via Fausti.org or just DM me and I'll get you in touch with him if it comes to that. <laughs> he's doing his best. He really is. <laughs> Although, uh, also, if you're interested in my Twitter, you can check out my personal Twitter at one big grumpy rat. Spelled out at one big grumpy rat. Remember, though, that if you follow, it is a public Twitter account and people can see that you're following, even if your account is locked. Uh, that's embarrassingly honest, <laughs> Toggle. Also, honestly, I wrote that line about he's doing his best. <laughs> so that's, that's actually just me saying that. And I'm too much of a candy ass to just say it myself. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> actually, I am doing my best. And uh, I had Toggle say that on my behalf because hopefully nobody's too mad at me that I got really backlogged on Twitter. Um, thank you, actually, Toggle, for the rest of that and for your summary. Um, it... Uh, um, it, it does remind me, uh, in fact, of a, pr a private email that we received oh, yes. uh, via our email. Uh, I can't uh, obviously talk about the details because private email, but uh, generally it brought up a question of whether it's okay to promote zoophilia. Right. I'm vastly over-summarizing the question, private email, that's what I have to do. I did want to reply in general to that overall topic uh, by saying that I don't see anything that we actually do here at the podcast as promoting zoophilia right. uh, any more than a podcast covering like LGBT issues would be described as promoting homosexuality or whatever. Right. It maybe sounds like a tendentious distinction, but I think there's substance here. I agree, um, actually, yeah. Because because there's always been zoos as part of the constellation of human sexual diversity, always has been, always will be. Uh, we are part and parcel of uh, the, the human family and promoting or not promoting that uh, isn't really a question so much as a fact. Um, as as zooiness is part of our human genetic heritage. It's inherent in what we do and it's inherent in what it means to be human. So at the podcast here, we're not really promoting something that already exists whether we do something or not. That's not really what it's about. That said, what we do promote is healthy expressions of Jewish orientations, yes. healthy, respectful Jewish relationships, mm -hmm. and positive zoo community within which we may all be able to continue to bring out the best in each other and to celebrate the best of who we are and to celebrate the best of our partners and who they are. That is uh, collectively something that we do promote. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's good to promote constructive and healthy expressions of who we are. That's good for everyone, and it's well worth the effort. I don't think there's any question that promoting people being good to each other and good to ourselves is a good thing and far from controversial. It, in the end, we are only as good or as bad as we choose to be and as we choose to help each other become. 
nobody outside really makes us either good or bad as zoos and as a community. That's truly up to us. Everything that we are doing here at Zooier Than Thou is promoting precisely that. We're promoting the goal of doing our best, being our best, and bringing out the best in each other. There's no one right way to do zoo. The diversity in our community is breathtaking and beautiful and just plain <laughs> bodacious. Dog zoos, horse zoos, Shervine and porcine and ursine and a whole bunch of other eyes. We're as different as can be imagined. And also we're all zoos because for us, the world is bigger than just hairless monkeys with two legs and weird swollen skulls. We're all zoos because we all know that seeing the world through the eyes of someone different from us is pretty much the single most amazing thing a human being can ever do. And as zoos, we do it effortlessly. As part of who we are and who we love and how we connect to the world around us. Sometimes it's fucking hard. Brick hard, the gray muzzle currently staring out the window <clears throat> and dreaming of Mr. Peanut about her might say. I was not doing that. <laughs> because diversity means we're not all the same. And that's okay. We work it out and we remain friends even through the rough spots. And that's also what it means to be a zoo. We watch each other's backs even when we don't always see eye to eye. Community is loyalty, and loyalty is huge. Did someone say Mr. Peanut Butter? <laughs> well, anyhow, apparently not. Uh, I, I don't see Mr. Peanut Butter anywhere. Anyway, uh, damn it. What's up next? <laughs> None of your business, dog fucker. What the hell, Toggle? Okay, first of all, it's fucky, not fucker. Get it right, you little goddamn rodent. <laughs> and also, don't get my hopes up. I checked everywhere. This studio is as canine free as the Trump White House. Just a horror, yeah, horror top to bottom. Uh, no, silly. That's the alias that they chose. Dog fucker. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I knew that. Actually, fair enough. Go on. All right. So none you right. You bunch of absolute assholes need to stop spreading your lies about zoophilia. It's illegal, immoral, illogical, and it's just an excuse for you bunch of fags to not get laid. You both sound like a bunch of 400-pound incels, especially the faggot who puts on a voice in your videos. <laughs> I like the voice you used to read that. <laughs> it's probably exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> picturing that. <laughs> Even though you're you know, doing such a great job of it, you know, I'm listening to it and it's like, geez, you had to come at me about my weight problem. Now, <laughs> that hurts. You're so fat, Faust. Oh, wait, hold on. No, it actually doesn't hurt at all. I, I can actually barely keep 200 pounds nowadays. In, in fact, I can't keep 200 pounds. Between mm -hmm. the, you know, chemotherapy and the weekly training for the upcoming 50K, that's at about 40 miles per week of trail work, depending on the week. So actually, that is kind of funny. And <laughs> uh, I bet I do know who is fat and lazy and out of shape. And that's probably the sad piece who sent this awesome bundle of fail to us as hate mail. <laughs> Also, P.S., the LGBT community doesn't want your sick asses. Respectfully yours, Nanya. Okay, I'm not even really sure where to begin unpacking this one, but yeah. Honestly, insults are a lot less hurtful when they're not based in any sort of reality. <laughs> and I gotta love the added touch where they inform us about the wishes of the LGBT community while also calling us fags. Honestly, this whole message is a chocolatey hot mess from top to bottom. <laughs> chocolatey? Oh my god, it's pretty pathetic. Not the most pathetic hate mail we got this week, but a close second. And, incidentally, also the second hate mail we've ever gotten. Congrats! Your second best and second worst all at once. 
being called an incel by an actual incel is <laughs> actually recursively lawworthy. Uh, I, though I do actually do suppose chemo does sort of make me a celibate occasionally. It comes with the chemo territory, frankly. I, I can't say I'm particularly ashamed of that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, no, actually, not at all. I tried to be ashamed, but nope, sorry, not ashamed. Nope. Thanks for your heartfelt email, Nanya. It was kind of fun getting hate mail for a change. Also, you left your IP address behind, and Comcast is happy to pin down your account information so we can press charges. Which, geez, you should have read up on Fausty before sending us hate mail from your home IP address. That's about as dumb as calling him a 400-pound incel. <laughs> okay, actually, it's even dumber. Yeah, Why? That's, that's true. Take 10 minutes and figure it out yourself. You'll be glad you did. Well, <laughs> actually, at this point, you'll shit yourself. Oh, well. Next one, Fausty. Okay, let's get a good one in real quick. All right, sure. Here's one from Oz. It's a wizard? Uh, I don't know. Let's find out. Oz writes, I'm an old equine zoo. Oh, who knew that about the wizard? <laughs> uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was a longtime reader and poster on Beast Forums, and you may be familiar with some of my writings and videos. I am. I have always tried to help younger zoos who are dealing with guilt issues to gain a perspective about the human condition and what we really are. I also tried to capture my true love of my mare friends in my, <laughs> admittedly, pornographic videos. I would say he's done a great job with the efforts to share the beautiful parts of who he is and who we are, having been familiar with his writing and his videos for quite some time. Oh. I could go on about exactly why there's nothing wrong with good, healthy, positive, respectful, genuine porn. And in fact, there's a hell of a lot of the opposite of wrong with it. Hell yeah. But I'll make the utterly uncharacteristic decision to batten my pie hole in the subject for now, barely under extreme <laughs> dress. Porn is love. Oz continues, I want to tell you that I was very impressed by the first program I listened to, especially as it regards difficulties with mixed human zoo relationships. I know how hard it is to produce a program like that, and you did it with amazing grace and flair. All credit for the Aww. excellence in production quality that's become a standard for Zooier Than Thou actually does go to my co-host and colleague, uh, Mr. Toggle, sitting right here. Aww. He is a badass in the studio. Uh, he's also a badass in bed. Hell yeah. Uh, wait, no, that's, uh, sorry, not the bedroom. Uh, that's all kinds of wrong. I was thinking about somebody else. I was thinking about Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> my bad. Uh, continue. Go on. You are hopeless. You know the penalty. <laughs> I am. True. Oz continues. I have a possible topic for you, and that is the treatment of zoos in the Puritan colonies, particularly the story of Thomas Granger. For some reason, the barbarity of what that self-righteous bunch did to that poor kid ranks in the darkest annals of human depravity. I even wrote a poem about it. Anyhow, keep up the great work. If we are ever to gain any acceptance at all, it'll be through work like yours. All right. Uh, first Aww. off, many thanks for that message. And the fact that a poem was also included is just so awesome. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. It's always a pleasure to hear from folks who've been around a minute, as he has. And it's always nice to receive an historical lesson. <laughs> In fact, uh, I was previously ignorant of the story, or at least I was ignorant prior to receiving his note, <laughs> yes. and for that I'm thankful as well. It's Fausty, okay, you've made your point, and then some with the what? an, what? an historic. What? No, just, I see you're smiling over uh, there. Don't fucking act like it's coincidental, you dog fucky, not really because chemo and this dog incel for now. Ah, uh, that hurts. <laughs> <clears throat> dog almighty, you really are incorrigible, you know that? 
I do, yes. Back to the subject at hand. So I remember reading about Thomas Granger in college, though I can't remember in what context I was studying Puritans. I read an entry from one of the Puritans who was doing record-keeping at the time, and it basically lamented the fact that in order to actually make the journey and survive in the New World, Puritans had to rely on heathens to, in order to get by. So the Puritans didn't actually know how to sail or farm or, or frankly, do anything. In essence, mm -hmm. these were people that were disconnected from the land and they needed people who knew basic survival skills to keep the colony afloat. That meant bringing along people who didn't share their faith, and Thomas was among them. When Tom was caught in mid-coitus with the mayor, they questioned him and he confessed to having relations with a number of animals. Now, these people were trying to establish a land based on God's law and they were not lenient. Tom had to name the animals he slept with and watch them all be slaughtered before finally being put to death himself. And if that sounds fucked up and barbaric, well, that's because it is. And yet somehow, it's actually not very far off from how this sort of thing can go today, minus the zoo actually being executed as well. I can't I can't say I wasn't targeted for attempted execution myself a couple times in the oh, past right, decade. Right, 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 right. Each time admittedly via extra legal violence by police, sure. But it's a bit of a thin distinction when you're on the receiving end. Right. And coming out of what I've been through myself, in addition to absolute disgust at what was done to him and to the non-humans around him, my first reaction to the story is to completely and wholeheartedly doubt that the version that made it into print and that came down to us today reflects the facts of what happened to Tom in any sense. Right. I have no doubt that those fundamentalist fanatic fucks murdered him. That's one thing religious zealots have been consistently good at for as long as we've had religion, killing dissenters. But was he caught in flagrante delicto with a mare? Yeah, color me doubtful. Hmm. And then Tom lists off all the other, quote, animals with whom he had shared intimacy. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm, no doubt he did under torture or somehow otherwise coerced right. to list basically every critter he'd ever seen in town. Yeah, that's actually more likely. Look, the fact is, nobody recorded Tom's version of the story. That's not there. Right. History isn't written by the victims of persecution and genocide. That's just not the way it works. So we have this just-so story of equine assignation, and I just call horseshit. Uh, more likely, frankly, and more along the lines of what we know about the actual facts versus what the Puritan genocidaires spun out ex post facto about this stuff. Tom probably ran afoul of the exiled bigot Puritans for some entirely other reason. Uh, maybe, in fact, he was just too nice to the bear in question. Those God-fearing fascists wouldn't condone that, since, after all, she's just an animal created by God, so scum like them can abuse and torment her until she's too old to work, and they kill her without one iota of compassion or kindness. Yeah, that'd be more than enough if he was just nice to her. And what better story than sex? <laughs> anything but that, anything but that for Puritans. And they come up with that as a pretense for a good fun murder session of human and non-human alike, forcing him to watch these animals killed in front of him. Yeah, that I can see, actually. There's nothing even remotely nice about this story. It's a tragedy for every victim of that bigotry, prejudice, and hate. As yesterday, so today. Let us honor, perhaps, uh, not only Tom's memory and what he suffered um, for whatever reason, but we'll never really know, but also the memory of those four-legged victims who died alongside him, most likely for no reason whatsoever. Well, fuck, no, no reason for sure. 
They're all martyrs to intolerance and, frankly, to human solipsism. Fuck that shit, and fuck the people who continue to spew that shit even today. No matter how you slice it, it's a tragic story, a tragic history, and a tragic lesson we're all well reminded to remember and honor. So thanks, Odds. And thanks for the poem. I'm holding on to it to share later on. Okay, we've got one more here, I think, and it's from our old friend, the friendly neighborhood zoosexual. It is always nice to hear from you again. Our pal here this time is weighing in on the last episode's topic about safety. Friendly writes, so it sounds like mentioning my sexuality on my LinkedIn was probably not wise. In all seriousness, (laughs) though, this episode brought to mind several aspects that had never occurred to me. Notably, on how no reaction might be the best reaction, kind of like in regards to dealing with a bully. It's been a while since the last time I've done anything social in the zoo world, and as the kind of job I have, if it were to become known that I was a zoosexual, it would not only be devastating to me, but also to many others as well. Not that I'm made miserable by my job by any means, quite the opposite, in fact. Anywho, it was quite interesting hearing everyone's views on the matter. Actually, this episode left me feeling a bit safer. Wishing all three of you the best. We're always glad to hear from you, friendly neighborhood zoosexual that you are. (laughs) And it's great to hear from you that our Safety Dance episode helped to catalyze some self-analysis and security thinking on your part. Good security is all about conscious, intentional, flexible balancing of multiple factors. And it sounds like you're doing exactly that. Keep it up. And in addition, keep sharing what you've learned about the process with others you know, so they can benefit from that learning as well. That's how it's done. I'm actually glad to hear this episode made an impact, and I really hope it manifests in good decisions and continued safe community engagement. Thanks for checking back in with us, friendly neighborhood zoosexual. We (laughs) will see you next time. All right, Fausty, I think it's time for us to talk about our topic here. What the world needs now is Zoo-ish wisdom. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. <clears throat> uh, uh, Toggle and I actually were talking offline recently about relationships. Human relationships, if you can believe it. Humans? That's just bizarre. Agreed. (laughs) Specifically, we were discussing sexuality and the sorts of expectations that human people find themselves beholden to in the bedroom. It was an innocent conversation about dicks. I mean, Mm. yeah, yeah, I know, right? Big surprise. And Uh it evolved into a tawdry philosophical discussion about our experiences with other guys missing two legs and the greater implications for society of those interactions. As part of that discussion, it occurred to me that my number one rule personally for sexual encounters is as follows. There is quite simply nothing more beautiful than knowing that someone with whom I'm sharing sexual intimacy is having the absolute time of their life and that I'm fortunate enough to be part of that wonderful experience for them. For me, that's what it's about. Uh, however many legs, whatever gender, however furry they are or they are not. It's about sharing pleasure and uh, more than that, about enabling wondrous, pleasurable experiences uh, for those you love. Uh, Sure, I have my little preferences here and there. We all do, no matter our species. But at core, what I love is seeing someone happy, period. Okay, I also love Mr. Peanut Butter. (laughs) An unrequited love so far, but I do love him. <laughs> now, I am a cock connoisseur. Big ones, small ones, regular ones. I love them all for different reasons. <clears throat> but I have noticed how embarrassed people get over their size sometimes. And it's like, dude, chill. This is perfect. 
Or sometimes when people can't keep it up and, you know, the fact that they can't keep it up makes them flustered, which makes it impossible to get hard. Performance anxiety. Exactly. Uh, But for me, none of that stuff matters. If we're having a good time, it doesn't matter that you're having trouble staying hard. I mean, fuck it. So do I. I'm on SSRIs and so is half of America. It's not a big deal. Uh, Toggle, in fact, intuitively pointed out that this phenomenon, performance anxiety, is entirely based on human interactions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist in zooey relationships. Not once in decades of my adult life has a stud dog been ashamed because he just couldn't keep it up. Keep it up? Okay, up, not exactly right, (laughs) but anyhow. And stallions don't worry whether they won't meet expectations because, I mean, they're stallions. (laughs) Seriously, the, the whole, you know, feeling bad about your sexual performance is really totally a human thing. Uh, It wasn't until deep into my own adulthood personally that I even ever really bumped into the whole performance anxiety concept, since my paramours didn't, definitionally didn't, have those sorts of problems. And as zoos, because our experiences come without that kind of judgment from our partners, we take that wisdom and we have the opportunity to give that wisdom back to our human partners. I can say with total confidence that I have never, ever made a human partner feel bad about his or her, yes, her (laughs) performance in the barn. Uh, I mean, in the bedroom. (laughs) I I, I can't even conceive of what would motivate someone to be like that with a lover of any sort, to be honest. It just is beyond me. I think it does make sense. Whatever the case, uh, one part of being zoo is our awareness that human hangups about sex are not intrinsically sexual. They're intrinsically human. Right. To everyone else out there, such concepts simply do not exist. And you know, sex without feeling pressured to perform is <laughs> truly incredible. Like just enjoying like the touch of other people or the profound physical closeness of intimacy with a stud dog. It's beyond words to describe. You just enjoy that time together. And that's something a lot of non-zoos are missing out on. To clarify my earlier comment, our partners, whatever number of legs they have, of course judge us based on how we behave towards them and choose to share with them in intimate encounters. That's naturally part of any encounter. What I'm saying is that they don't judge us on the basis of some preconceived expectation of performance that they're holding up to us and thinking we're not meeting that... standards that they saw in a movie or like, something I, like you're that. You're not a porn star, and I'm pissed off that you're not a porn star. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm just, that's human. That is, that is not general to everybody, and the kind of judgment we have from our partners more broadly is judgment about how we're treating them, right. and whether we're being respectful and having a great time with them. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's not judgment about, well, I heard from so-and-so on, you know, the other side of the barn aisle that you know, what you're really supposed to do is this, and I can't do that right now, and I feel bad about myself for that, and that's all human stuff. Right. Which goes to show that uh, as zoos, we do have insight into the non-human world that is not available to humans from really anywhere else. That's why as zoos, we are part of the human genetic library, and why we've always been inherent in what it is to be human. Really, without zoos, there would be no domestication of animals. Mm Mm-hmm. There would be no partnership with wolves, which becomes dogs, which become our best friends and closest allies and our social peers. There'd be no horses sharing our lodgings, our hunting, our battles, our travels, our worlds, and sometimes our beds. 
or, or you can flip it around and say that without all that, there'd be no evolutionary pressure in favor of the zooish gift that sits behind so much of our interactions with other species. Yeah. It's two sides of one coin, really. Even beyond that coin, it turns out that uh, zoos also have a thing or two of value to say about human sexual intimacy, surprisingly enough. <laughs> How could we not? I, I, and uniquely zooish perspective is the betwixt and between. We're at once human and also at once non-human. We're a mix of both. You, one might even call us Miti, right? Tunnel. Oh my god, flex sake, Fausty. Yes, yes, well played. Are you happy now? No. <laughs> I see you chuckling over there, so I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Back to the point. We share an empathy with other persecuted minorities, which allows us to see how systems of power arbitrarily push down on different groups of people. We have a perspective that allows us to question convention and to challenge authority because we know that what we take for granted as a society isn't always based on fact, logic, or evidence. It Indeed, amongst the many wisdoms shared with us by our non-human friends and partners as zoos is the transformative power of kindness. I think that sits behind some of what Toggle is flagging there. Mm -hmm. Kindness, uh, a kindness that's not tied to identical worldviews or overlapping politics or close kin connections. Indeed, not tied to a common species at all. And that kind of kindness, that purest kind of kindness, has the potential to open doors of compassion and caring that in turn can, and so many times in the past have, changed our world for the better. That also is part of being a zoo, knowing that kindness as recipients and knowing how to share that kindness as initiators. We know how to be nice to other people as zoos, and indeed to love other people, whether those people look like us or not. Like, different skin color is a big deal? <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> I mean, that's so trivial, it's cute. Really, we know that we're all the same at heart. We all live, we all hope, we all fear, we all weep, and we all love. Petty differences, be that skin, hair, paws, hooves, feathers, fin, fur, you know, whatever. What, what binds us is so much more spectacularly wonderful than those things which set us apart. Hell, even rodents without balls <laughs> who don't know how to maybe add an N and when not to, <laughs> just saying, are worthy of our kindness and maybe, just maybe, are worthy of our love. All those hang-ups that keep us apart, they're stuff that we make up and enforce on ourselves, but only if we choose to. For it is true that we may also choose not to. We may choose not to be bounded by the limits of what we once thought was possible, of what was available, what was reasonable, what was inevitable, what potentially was ours or could not be ours. We as zoos, we have the power to choose to be so much more than what we would otherwise be. And in doing so, we can choose to act as avatars of moral greatness for all those humans out there who are frankly, so sadly crippled by their inability to reach beyond the confines of their fellow naked monkeys. We can help those limited humans. We always have. And indeed, we must continue to help those limited humans. Whether they know how to ask for our help or not, we know that it is ours to offer and ours to share. And this we as zoos must always continue to do. We are different. And that's not only okay, it's important. We have something to offer the world, and the world could really use a bit of that right now. Sure could. 
Stay tuned, friends. We've got plenty more profoundly zooey wisdom to expound upon right after this. This week's podcast is sponsored by Dog Day Afternoon Spa. Spend a magical, relaxing, therapeutic day lying naked on a massage table surrounded by man's best friend. We specialize in facials. And also by Zooey, Dewey, and Murs. When bigotry threatens you or your beloved partners, it's time for the draft horse stallions of the legal world. We fight back against hatred with facts, fury, and fanatical vigor. Discounted rates for zoos who stand loyal to our community, no matter what. And finally, by esoteric references that only small segments of our audience can appreciate. Esoterica, it makes you sound authentic. For this year's Westminster Best Finster Confirmation Dog Show, a radical new format was chosen for the ringside commentary broadcast live to listeners worldwide. Before, censors were on hand to censor any reference that executives felt was too mature when it comes to the show dogs in the ring. This obviously cut out a lot of what makes watching dog shows such a beautiful experience. The dogs and bitches. Acting like they aren't charismatic, gorgeous, beautiful, alluring. <laughs> it was silly, artificial, and was driving away audiences in droves. The new format gets rid of all that nonsense and, we're proud to say, also includes Zooier Than Thou's very own Zooey as one of the commentators broadcasting from ringside. That's right, the Great Dame with the Great Mane, offering up her fabulous perspective on a topic she knows better than anyone. Stunning sexual canine supermodels, any and all breeds. Without further ado, here's a sample from the climactic event of this year's broadcast, Best in Show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this year's live commentary of the Best Finster Dog Show. For those just now tuning in, the Best in Show presentation is just beginning, and yes, we're continuing with what our ever-wise studio executives have told us is to be a more inclusive, honest, and genuine approach to our commentary. Finally, about time we got to drop the bull droppings and open the windows for some fresh air. Well, Ron, of course, our network coverage of the August Best Finster Show has always been, dare I say, best in class. Honesty is right at the center of every year's commentary, so it's just a question of continuing our tradition of excellence. Nothing new about that this year. Kid, the only thing honest about most of our previous commentary has been the name of the show. I'd know. I've been here in this seat for 30 years, and every year before now we've been on tape delay status so the network censors could clip out anything genuine or honest we said about the stars of the show. <sighs> Only place you'd see more clipping of what's genuine is in the dumpster full of dog balls behind a vet's office. Ron, we all know you've been at this job a heck of a long time, but that's no reason to be crude. Besides, everyone knows that those little doggies need to be fixed so that they can be happy little fur babies at the doggy daycare like all the other little doggies. Jesus, kid. Listening to you talk about cutting some poor boy's nuts off is almost as painful as knowing it happens so often. Can we close that pretty little mouth of yours and keep a close eye on these gorgeous dogs and bitches about to take to the ring? I haven't been so hot under the collar since last time I spent a weekend in a kennel full of bitches. 
Oh, the joys of synchronized estrus. Well, I never... Oh, we know, kid, we know. You wouldn't last an hour in a setup like that. Those ladies would eat you alive and spit out the bones you don't have in the places you damn well should. Boys, boys, let's not bicker, shall we? I was the first to lift a metaphorical leg on the idea of an unorthodox best-in-show class like this. But I'll tell you right here and now that the parade of beauties we're about to see is more than worth breaking any tradition under our sun. And if my ears don't betray me... Oh, bountiful blessed one, here they come. Right you are, my great main colleague, right you are. First up, it looks like we've got the Weimariner bitch that captured everyone's hearts. And a few more bits to boot, for some men <laughs> and women watching from ringside. She's got style, she's got grace, she's got a top line you could use to teach a ruler a thing or two about what straight means. And she's got enough raw sex appeal to stop an aircraft carrier dead in the water. What I'm seeing, for our listeners less given to flights of fancy than my elderly co-worker, is a female of the German breed from Weimar. A crowd favorite with picture-perfect adherence to the breed standard as written. This dog is a textbook example of good structure and good handler presentation. Textbook? Stevie, I don't know what textbooks you've been reading, but the only textbook that sexy lady appears in wouldn't be allowed in most any local library in the United States of repression you call home. She's so gorgeously hot. Word amongst the Zuluminati I know working security in the exhibitors area is that she's been receiving so many suitors' bouquets that there's been problems with access to emergency exits in her corner of the building. A lady with assets to die for? She most certainly is. Can't disagree with you one bit on that, Milady Zui. Not one bit. Gotta say, it might just be that a few of those bouquets might just be mine. <laughs> they might just be. And she's one heck of a date, that German gal. Or, so I've heard from friends, I should say. And next into the ring is another German showstopper, the Rottweiler dog, coming up from group. Before Ron can make any off-color jokes about this male dog, let me tell the listeners at home that it is exactly what is expected of the breed. Strong, stalwart, Steady and groomed to perfection. Steve, Steve, Steve. Hearing you talk about a, quote, male dog is like hearing some gringo refer to salsa sauce. The cute gets swamped out by the dumb. No matter, since this delicious Roddy God is more than enough of a hunk to make anyone with hormones forget all that chattering noise. Just look at that sheath. A sheath anyone could lose themselves in. A sheath truly worthy of worship. Oh, he's more than just a sheath fit for the godzui that German masterpiece is. Shoulders with enough angles to fill a graduate school class in non-Euclidean geometry. A gait with that impossible combination of fluidity and pure macho power. And family jewels impressive enough to single-pawed overturn that old critique of Roddy Boys' as studs with big knots and little nuts. He's a contender in my book for best in bedroom. Well, I don't know what all that's supposed to mean, if I'm being totally honest. What I do know is that this male dog is impressive and has clearly caught the eye of the judges. <laughs> Only one whose eye he hasn't caught is you, a eunuch who wouldn't know what to do with a stud like that any more than you know how to flap those skinny arms of yours and fly to the bloody moon. Ron, no need to be mean to the youngster. He knows not what he's missing and most likely never will. Enough of all that. 
Here's the GSD bitch that's had half the continent up late fantasizing about her, and the other half asleep having dirty lovely dreams with her as the star of the show. And oh dog almighty, just look at that goddess on four paws. I... I... <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's just like a dream made real. A fantasy come down to earth. Enough beauty to stop clocks half a world away. I don't see anything particularly unusual about it, to be honest. Most all German Shepherds look alike. I'm sure we all agree, and in the end, it comes down to checking the program to figure out what sex they are. Sex? Sex? When it comes to her, the program listing has her categorized as, Oh, please. Yes, please. Anytime. Any place. And way. This great Dane will obey in ways an arch can't even imagine. Oh, I'm still not... I, <laughs> I don't know how to... God, she's simply magnificent. Her tail carriage alone is enough to stop traffic. Oh, those shoulders. They're poetry made physical. <laughs> Since my two uh, colleagues, or whatever they claim to be, can't quite find their words, I'll be happy to be the responsible one and keep our listeners informed about the next entrant coming into the ring. This is... Uh, let me check the schedule. Oh, yes. This is the Beer Bulldog entry. A big, heavy thing with an air of menace. It seems to have one breeding group on the basis of intimidation alone. Not sure how a dangerous thing like that managed to get into the best finster in the first place. Shut up, Stevie. Your tiny voice intrudes on my fervid fantasy of that big man getting into me and staying there for hours. Intimidating? That, my boy, is the only thing you've got right so far tonight. I'd be intimidated to introduce myself to him, let alone ask him for attentions of a more carnal sort. He's probably so used to adoring admirers trailing along behind him that he's a veritable master of rejection. Such a terrible shame, isn't it, Ron? No, he's not like that. Not at all. I have it on good authority. <laughs> Very good, you might say. That he's not only a perfect gentleman in the tradition of the best manners of South African Zulu culture, but he's also happy to make time for a tie with adoring fans, be they shy or pushy. <laughs> Oh, yes, he's everything a leading man stud should be. Virile, kind, confident, and rock hard in the bedroom in every place they're in. Oh, I won't soon forget our night. I mean, I won't forget what I've heard about him. Ron, you lucky old goat, you. <laughs> I couldn't be more envious if I tried. And honey, I've tried. Uh, I, I, just, I just don't know how much more of this I can put up with. It's downright obscene. All this talk of abuse. The only abuse around here is what's being caused by being locked in a broadcast booth with someone so ignorant of dogs, he doesn't know the difference between a bitch and a teddy bear. Good thing you won't ever get within a country mile of anyone out there in that show ring. They laugh you out of the state with just a lulled tongue. Kid, you're so far out of your league, you're not even playing the same sport. That's it! I'm reporting this to senior management right this second! My deepest eternal thanks, my gentleman and scholar. Ron, you've saved the day, and just in time for the most dashing, the most handsome, the most utterly lustworthy of them all, the golden stud of dreams, the master of our shared sensual domain, the hero of every stag movie worth its celluloid, the one and only... The hands-down favorite of the class he is, Masui, that he is. And for good reason. 
Impeccable balance. Flawless extension at the trot, a trot that should rightly be called a float. Code beyond the wildest dreams of the most debauched furrier ever born to this planet, and <laughs> if what I've been told by those lucky enough to judge him in the past, a pair of balls so perfect, so heavy, so ineffably flawless as to evade even the most heartfelt attempt to sing their eternal praises. The perfect package. A package including a package to die for. A golden beyond compare. Ron, if it comes down to you and I fighting for his attentions, I give fair warning that I will shamelessly resort to any and all stratagems and intrigues in service of earning his service. Yes, I will. Know you that. Well, uh, I never... I went right to the top. I'll have you two smirking goons know. And you know what I was told? Do you know what I was told? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. I was told, and I quote, You're fired. Call-in lines are flooded with support for our newfound approach to honest dog show reporting. Fired! Just goes to show that sex sells, good or bad, two legs or four. And in this case, it's four. And honey, it's good, good, and more good yet again. All right, then. Back to the show, Zooey, now that the virgin man-child is gone. And meanwhile, we've had enter the ring a legend in her own right, the husky bitch. Now, I know all eyes are on a certain lady part of hers famous for its deep, dark, glistening black color. But we all know she's so much more than that. Though, who could pretend they don't know it is such a showpiece of a piece? Coat befitting the northern princess she most assuredly is. She's also... Welcome back, fellow zoos! Last week's episode on safety covered a lot of topics, but it wasn't as exhaustive as it could have been, as one of our listeners pointed out. Please welcome to the studio... Steve. Hey guys, that's definitely my name. How many E's are in that? <laughs> if you have to ask, you can't afford them. Uh, then definitely can't afford them. Do we, do, and every time when we use that obviously legitimate name, do we have to put all the E's in it? Do you mean, little, do you get to put all the E's? The answer is... <laughs> <laughs> whatever your heart wants it to now, be. Steve. There is something crucial that you wanted to point out for our listeners. Yeah, it's Steve. 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 All right, so... (laughs) All right, here's the thing. Um, If you read the news long enough, you see repetitions of the same kind of story. And if you do it for decades, then you see a lot of those repetitions. And of particular interest to me, and I'm sure many zoos, is zoos who get arrested. Um for loving their partners in the way that, you know, feels the most natural. So I've noticed um, there's like a, there's two ways in which zoos come to the attention of law enforcement. So here's the two categories. One, in rare instances, somebody will actually see you having sex with an animal and they call the police. They have a duty to investigate. Somebody confesses instead of exercising their constitutional right to not self-incriminate. And then it goes downhill from there. That's rare. But what's really common, and this disturbs me to no end that zoos aren't more careful with this, is that uh, they'll make porn of their own encounters with their animal partners, right? So then 
you know, all it takes is, um, okay, so there was a case recently in Florida where uh, Dog Zoo had images and videos of himself um, playing with his partner, and he lost his phone. Oh, fuck. And a good Samaritan <laughs> tried to figure out whose phone it was, no, and the phone really? wasn't locked, and scrolled through Ugh. to try to figure out whose phone it was. Yeah, it's it's on the uh, Reddit oh, man. Um, that Florida is, Man That's actually fucking channel. tragic, man. I'm, I'm biting my tongue <laughs> before I jump in, so I'm just going to continue to <laughs> right? listen, though I'm, I'm, I'm putting various tags on this yeah. for things I'm wanting to say and going to say, but I'm going to shut up for now and let Steve continue uh, his introductory <laughs> comments. But this is me biting my tongue. Go on. So super preventable in many different ways. Um, most obviously, you know, don't take videos of yourself or allow others to take videos of you having sex with animals in places where that's super legal and you wouldn't want someone to see it. Or lock your damn phone or and or encrypt any such material that you might have you know it's more ammunition for people who want to persecute us to use whereas if you just don't make porn um how are they gonna prove their case it's just there's only so many resources they have if you don't hand them a slam dunk case that says yep that's you in the video that's a dog that's you doing this with the dog that's you know then I gotta say real quick I, I, I see <laughs> I can see physically see Fausty chomping at the bit here that is actually um, true yeah, yeah so, go for it Fausty, bro please go ahead so yeah. right off the bat the first thing I want to say I'm trying to think of a, a counter example to this or an exception to this Every story I've ever read in a newspaper about somebody who was a zoo or allegedly a zoo or in some sense associated with cross-species stuff has been full of just complete fucking steaming, disgusting, bald-faced lies. Okay, so right off the bat, the don't believe what you read in newspaper stories, period, ever. Period, absolutely. Ever, ever. When I say every, I've read hundreds of these stories too. Of them, I've known either through direct involvement in trying to in trying to or in helping defend against this shit the individual actually in the story or knowing through either firsthand or secondhand um the details directly from people uh, you know involved in these the version that gets told in the newspaper and what actually happened are never even close ever now maybe there's examples that they are close and i haven't seen them yet everyone i've ever had enough information to make a judgment on was shot through with bullshit obvious question to ask why is that its case uh because they know they can get away with it so if police are involved in a case any way related to this they absolutely are confident that they can say whatever they want to the reporter when the reporter calls the reporter is going to print whatever they say nobody will fact check it Nobody no will even pretend. Zoo either. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly, well, like zero, but nobody ever. Not only that, I have actually, as a subject of thousands of newspaper articles, many of which were front page of major international newspapers, written to the journalists who wrote these articles to correct specific factual errors, verifiably erroneous, allegedly factual stuff in their articles. And 19 times out of 20, you get no response. One times out of 20, you get a response back saying, uh, don't ever contact me again. I'm not going to correct anything that you claim are errors. And if you do uh, uh, claim that there's further errors, I will write even more articles and make up more stuff and make sure that it's even worse than last time. I was actually Holy shit, told are you that, fucking um, kidding me? What wow. the fuck? Charming. Yeah, no, I was told that by a reporter at uh, the Seattle Times. 
in yeah. uh, 2010. <laughs> and Maloney so has all the. Yeah, I mean, she has all the copies of the emails that went back and forth, you know, between the two of us. Steve Carter is his name. And uh, Fuck you, yeah, Steve. He threatened me that he would write. Another Steve. Right, yeah, different one. He would write more articles with more fake shit in them if I um, complained to his executive editor about the fake shit he put in the article beforehand, which included stuff like the didn't get my uh, birthday, you know, date of birth right. So the starting point is don't ever believe what you read in the newspapers because 19 times out of 20, it's a lie, particularly the worst stuff. Like if you, anything you read in a newspaper, that's like, eventually there's like the, oh, wow, Jesus. And especially the, how could someone be so stupid stuff? Often the answer is nobody was actually, that was just made up. Like (laughs) that was just completely fake. The amount of absurd shit that gets written up is so high in these cases that I will take every chance I can to remind people in the community, don't believe what you read unless you have enough information to actually, in some sense, override the historical truth that the these articles are shot full of lies. And yet, I can hang around in a, a Zoom discussion forum or chat room, and in short order, some newspaper article will come through that alleges that somebody who seems like they might be a zoo did some incredibly stupid and or horrible thing and everybody will jump up and either point at how stupid that person is or how horrible it is. And you're like, why does anybody believe that right now? Newspapers no. have authority. We are trained to believe newspapers have news in them. Like, that's, Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. I mean, it is and a that's why weird. they can get away with it. That's why yeah. they get away with it is because right. we just assume yeah. that they're right. Uh, it's the same reason why vets... Uh, I had a recently... Uh, gave some advice to one of my family members about, you know, your vet is telling you to spay your your dog. She's like two months old. So like I don't I don't understand you you don't want to do that. But then of course the vet turns around and said there are no harmful side effects to doing this this early. And who who are they gonna believe? They're gonna believe the person that they are trained they are we trained as society to believe these people are experts. Uh and we believe that newspapers are going to be telling us the truth because why would they lie to us? I think that's a fair uh, comparison, and I think that's a, a fair um, initial assumption on anybody's part. That broadly speaking, you, you don't expect the Seattle Times or the Guardian, you know, in the UK, to just print flagrant, flaming, easily verifiably inaccurate information as if it were true. Right. There is no excuse, however, for anybody in our community to take that shit at face value without having at least a little bit of skepticism that maybe did that actually happen or not. So I'm doing that mostly as as an annoying reminder of something I say over and over and over again because I am actually, despite that, um, largely in agreement with a significant component of what is being said by Steve in this particular uh, (laughs) circumstance, um, which is to say that the point that Steve makes that it is better not to have that stuff sitting around on unencrypted devices as a general matter of security, he's absolutely 100% right. Um, because whether the, the newspapers are accurately reporting or not, you know, the presence of such stuff, um, it, it really doesn't matter because the um, un contested reality is that not having that stuff around and easily accessible on digital devices in the event something goes wrong is always better than having it around therefore don't have it sitting around on unencrypted devices yeah and if you you know if you beat the rap you still won't beat the ride yes Yes. 
Yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like there's just no there's no upside and all downside to that. It's a, if, um, if you win, it's a pyrrhic victory. You know, and you're absolutely right. One hundred percent the case. And right. the, the the flag I have to put on that is that you know how do these cases get started? If it's not that these you know hardworking police officers are sleuthing around and accidentally bump into these incredibly obscene materials. Oh yeah, somebody hears a rumor about somebody who hates somebody who vaguely you know claims that maybe somebody's a zoo. So the police kick in the door, you know, shoot the dog, take the guy to prison. You don't bother to actually come up with any actual crimes that he's committed. Um, start to get a little worried. Uh, call up a friend who works at a newspaper and just out of the blue say, oh, yeah, there were gigabytes worth of, you know, animal porn. And that's why we kicked in the door. Oh, well, that's why. It, that's probably not what happened. But it makes for a good cover story. Um, so if you, you do hear that somebody was caught with a ton of animal porn, always be aware that that could have just been made up. So, and you know, I mean, honestly, if you if you think that that sounds far fetched, that no, why would police do that? <laughs> Look how they treat minority communities every single fucking day. Yeah. They do right. this all the time. This is like standard mo. Yeah. So it's often based on a rumor, and I do know that from many cases that I've been involved in. Whether that's true or not, the point stands uncontested that not having the materials sitting around unencrypted is always smarter than having them sitting around unencrypted, because at least it doesn't give them the option to point to the materials, and they'll have to make it up. And Steve's point is one we should have made in the security episode and is much appreciated because that's unambiguously true. As a section B, materials that allegedly uh, include depictions of an actual two-legger involved in the case and an actual four-legger, and that that is what is used to convict the person, those cases do exist. Um, and, and, and there are enough that are real that they do happen. That is a real risk. There are also cases where I know firsthand that the police have just made up the alleged you know, existence of such materials, a video or pictures where they don't exist at all because it makes it sound good in the newspapers. And it follows the same you know, rule of what we just talked about, police making shit up. So there are cases where shit gets made up. In those kinds of cases, that ends up you know, being pretty relevant because if you're going to go to trial to either be convicted of you know, cross-species sexual intimacy or not, if the police can't come up with the video or the audio that they claimed was what proves that that happened, you're going to win that case. Like, for real, you're going to win that case. Your life is still going to be ruined because they printed in the newspapers, you know, that, <laughs> that they had it. And even though you go to trial and win, I will tell you from firsthand experience, none of the newspapers are going to print the article that you won and that the police lied. They're not. Sure, so it's they're just trial gonna, by media. It is pure trial right. by media. And those of us who have faced these cases, including me, often are realistic about that, that if a plea deal comes along, that is enough to you know go on with our life since the damage has already been done. Or, you know, the temptation to do that is real. I've done it. So I, I totally understand that. You have already had all the damage done to you. The press will not report on the fact that it was all based on lies if you go to trial. And so what's the real benefit of going to trial? You clear your name to who? Right. And you would think, well, at least you clear your name to like other zoos or something. But, it, but sadly, no, a lot of times no. other zoos are just as bad and don't recognize that what the police claimed was true wasn't actually true. And you can prove right. it. So uh, now um, that then we get to therefore nobody should ever you know produce those kinds of materials Fr from a security standpoint. I don't think you can really argue with that. I, I have to agree. The concern I have with this is that. If, if we as a community decide that, uh, you know, the, the risk being non-zero, that nobody should ever make, you know, materials of, you know, uh, an intimate nature ever, 
that is a, a form of subservience, you know, to hegemonic, uh, you know, sort of uh, mainstream right. um, the standards that m- makes me feel very uncomfortable that that is also tacitly accepting second class status because right. straight people make you know, sexual videos and photos of each other engaging in consensual, reciprocally pleasurable adult, you know, interactions all the fucking time. And they don't ever feel like they have to be super worried that their door is going to get kicked in and that their husband or wife is going to get shot by the police because of it. And it, right. I am not fucking okay with us needing to be always so much in fear of that happening that we actually eliminate that form of expression of who we are entirely. So this is one of those, for me, the, the security answer is clear and Steve is 100% right again the best way to avoid that ever being a problem is don't make the materials, right? You can take right. that a little further. The best way to never get caught is it's to never to do, do it. it at all. Well, so the, that. The be- in fact, the best way to not ever be persecuted as a zoo is to just kill yourself now. And that way nobody can ever persecute you. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a reducto ad absurdum, that's not what we're arguing. So there's got to be a you know, point at which the risk and, and some kind of a benefit, you know, balances. And I think Steve would be in agreement that the goal is to find an intelligent balance there. Don't do stupid stuff that has a lot of risk. But there are other things that the benefit is real and the risk, although not zero, maybe can be mitigated down to close to zero. Those are scenarios where we all have to make decisions that are smart, knowing that the risk isn't zero, but that if we cripple ourselves so badly to try to get the risk to zero, that we can smother our own identity. And that can result in suicide. And we all know examples in the community where suicide has happened because somebody just couldn't be at peace with themselves. And there's a continuum there. And that's what worries me about the never do it thing, though there's all sorts of stupid ways to do it, some of which I'm sure I've done myself. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I'm not like holding myself out from that, but many you know, ways all... I have well, done there myself. Is, yeah, many ways, <laughs> countless ways to be stupid. Let me list them. Yeah, probably not a good idea to have your smiling face in videos, a video of you, um, but not, you know, necessarily identifiably you. So you get to the well, you can identify the background in the video and stuff. Not only is that not going to win in trial, because beyond a reasonable doubt, at least in the U.S., is a standard. Um, right. Very unlikely that a prosecutor is bring a case on that. Very unlikely. That's just too into the gray zone. Uh, I think there's like sort of common sense safety there, where if you're not making yourself obviously identifiable, um, that would be a, a, a boundary that even though I feel nervous about the self-censorship side of this, I would actually sign on to that boundary as a more or less bright line rule at this point. Just don't do it because the right. risk is too high. Um, it, it, think long and hard about the consequences of, of, of cutting, of self-censoring those types of materials completely from your life because right. there, there are indirect costs to you for doing that because that does lead to a second class acceptance and at least keep that in the balance when you're deciding where your security decision should be made. The the only thing that I would add to that apart from, you know, don't make a cop's job easy. Uh, agreed. Is right. 100%. That, okay, we're already a tiny minority within a minority. Not we're, really. No. I mean, no. In terms of power of perhaps, are, but like I gotta be honest, like, Mm -hmm. when I started coming out as a zoo, like, the number of people that I already knew who would be like, 
oh yeah, me too. Wow, holy shit. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. Somewhere it's, between 1% to 10% of the population. What some, I mean, the, the statistics I would say are... Least, uh, probably about as many people as are gay, at least. I'm going to go with that, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But the a minority, suggests. we can consider A minority, unquestionably so, yes. For sure. So, yes. okay, in the context of, of us being fairly closeted and in the dark and isolated from each other largely... Um, I understand that there's a desire to reach out to each other yes. and that's, and that's what we're doing right now. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's why I really like this and I'm excited to be a part of it. But I think that the porn aspect of it, you know, just really pushing hard to say like, look, here's our sexuality. Look, here's us doing our thing too. Um, makes us a big target as well as connecting nope. us to each nope. other. No. Nope. No, I don't uh, think so. I, I am respectfully disagreeing in the in the sense of no, we're already big targets. That's not what's oh, making yeah. us big targets. So it, it may make it easier to make the you know the the arrow stick to the target in some circumstances. That's that what way I mean. One hundred percent. But yeah. in any, in, there's no scenario here where we would not be targeted if we would only just stop making porn. No, not true. So that's not right. what we're trying to say. Right. Yeah. No. I got. I guess I see what you're saying. Um, we were already also, targeted before there was porn. So, right. Well, it it, it dated back right. as far as there was recorded history. Like you know. Yeah. I get In some that. cultures, yes. Agreed. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that porn's a bad thing. Um, I think that when there's so much of it that you can't ever watch it all, that it's maybe like more more of a risk to you than it is a benefit, just because you physically can't watch it all. Disagree. stop (laughs) yeah i warned you about this i I disagree because you know having a hundred videos on your unencrypted computer that if the police show up and find them is not any safer than having a hundred thousand frankly makes no difference so yeah but um, you can't watch them all it doesn't matter it doesn't make you any less safe to have two terabytes versus 200 (laughs) megabytes so you know i agree with you on that i mean i do but there's not a safety factor to that that's just a you know goofy factor or something like that so yeah i don't know it just seems (laughs) it seems risky without so much of an obvious benefit to me personally that's just i don't know that's just me okay Uh, um we're sexual critters, and as as two-legged sexual critters, you know the, the sort of uh, 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 capturing of images of the sexuality that matters to us seems to be, for a lot of us at least, a, a part of our expression of our sexuality. And, sure. Um, losing that is has you know costs and consequences to it, and uh, uh, that's a hesitation that I've already brought up. Uh, another hesitation that I believe is substantive and empirically verifiable is insofar as we sort of removed our capability to express our sexuality in in images you know materials that capture that uh, intimacy particularly healthy versions of that intimacy what ends up left out there is horrible versions of that intimacy that do end up teaching the next generation that that's what the standard is and that has real consequences like real consequences that's why I did what I did when I was producing my own materials was to demonstrate this is nice for everybody. So if this is good, this is something to celebrate because it's nice. And um, I had seen enough not nice stuff by that point to think when well, there needs to be a balance. Otherwise, anybody who's growing up is going to get on the Internet, as people do, and look around and go, oh, this is what everybody does. 
Now, I can't get rid of the not nice stuff with a wave of the hand. I, I can at least in, in, um, support the opportunities for balance there. Also, mm-hmm. if there's no nice stuff out there, then people who aren't zoos will search on the internet for animal porn and find you know only not nice stuff. And they will judge us on the basis of that stuff, thinking that's who we are, because that's all they can find. That's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be yeah. the change that you want to see. For a little sure. bit. I mean, and yeah. Porn. <laughs> as silly as that sounds, it's also actually a thousand percent true. Um, and, and you can't really argue with the truth of it. And, and you know, what are the answers to that problem? I think those are open questions. Um, you know, the the. However, to completely cut off, you know, the healthy sides of of of, of stored um, images and video of uh, cross-species intimacy um, does leave the, the the field open to only not healthy stuff. The other piece of this that I, I should add in is that there exists an entire industry of animal porn that uh, is completely disconnected from the zoo community at all right. in any way and mm-hmm. is out there manufacturing, you know, pornographic materials involving horses and dogs and other stuff sometimes that is being sold all around the world and making lots of money for lots of people, none of whom are in zoos in any way. And so when we're sitting around wringing our hands as zoos about whether we should or shouldn't make these materials available, well, the non-zoos are out there doing it all the time anyway, and everybody assumes that's us. So right. <laughs> it's a little late for us to, for, you know, hope that maybe if we just make the materials go away. Like, actually, I've had people tell me in the community, well, if you just would stop making porn, then nobody would ever know about us anymore and they'd stop hating us. Oh, honey, no. No. what planet do you live on? I'm sorry, right. but the, work like, that way. Yeah, the materials are all out there and they're not being made by us. So we can censor ourselves all we want. It's not going to remove the materials. They're making, you know, new videos even as we speak. Some are halfway okay. Some are not abusive. Some are horrifically abusive. And there's all between the spectrum of non-zoo produced zoo porn um, and that's a difficult, problematic, you know, situation that some of us have tried to address in our own ways over the decades. And one of the ways that I think might be argued as a healthy pushback to that is, you know, for zoos to produce legitimate versions of um, you know, materials of an intimate nature that are provided at no charge as, as for others, particularly in the community, uh, to establish a, a positive, you know, standards and demonstrate mm-hmm. positive interactions and frankly to bankrupt the this sick motherfucker non-zoos who are producing nasty ass materials under our name and profiting from it that's legitimate like i 100 buy onto that fuck yeah so yeah. however there is risk involved in that right because it is always right. going to be less risky to not produce materials so that is a challenging balance that i can't answer the question for I can't. Um, uh, I can absolutely say that all of that being said, it does not justify having um, explicit materials on unencrypted, um, you know, uh, digital devices Encrypt in your, your possession or control. It, because there's no legitimate reason to have them easily available if somebody kicks in the door. Whether you make them or have them or not, they should never be sitting there and available. Totally agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Steve. Oh, the pleasure's mine. I genuinely thank uh, Steve for uh, making important corrections to our security episode that um, allow us to provide material to the community that adds uh, security value. And we are profoundly grateful for the time he put into making sure we were able to add that into this episode. All right. We'll be right back with more Zooey goodness here on Zooier Than Thou. Steve. <laughs> oh, shit. 
10, the wonder dog that stole the nation's heart. The shining star that saved Warner Brothers from bankruptcy time and time again. The stud dog of every lady's dreams now spends his retirement at his private beach house in Malibu. Our reporters caught up with Renty this weekend as he lounged nude on his porch in all his glory, watching the waves crash against the sandy shore. And Renty, you have time for a quick interview? Certainly. Anything for my public. Uh, how's life been treating you since you retired from the silver screen? Oh, can't complain. Things are quiet, peaceful, easy. Less barking, more napping. Couldn't ask for much more than that. Certainly a change from your Hollywood lifestyle just a couple of years ago. You were quite the playboy in your prime. Beautiful GSDs lining up for blocks just to get a whiff of your scent. Your on-again, off-again affairs with Hollywood starlets, including your gorgeous co-star Nanette. <laughs> I've tied the knot a few times, there's no doubt about that. I've lived a charmed life, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy every minute of it. Now, in the beginning, people compared you to your predecessor, Strongheart, a glorious canine specimen in his own right. What's it feel like to have ended your career with reviews asking, Strongheart who? Golly. Strongheart really set the stage for screen actors like me. It's hard to imagine I'd be anything I am today without him setting the precedent. My four paws rest on his strong haunches, as it were. So I lower my tail for him, of course. But Lee was always insistent I was star material. Uh, Lee is your agent? You could say that. Yes, and wasn't it actually Lee who introduced you to the Hollywood lifestyle? How did that come about? Well, you know, Lee and I were together, as we always were. A cheap matinee movie that day. And he saw old Strongheart up on the screen. And he said to me, Rinty, you could run circles around that big, over-angulated lunk. We'd wander up and down Poverty Row, pitching me for bit parts at some of the smaller studios. Those were my first gigs. From there, my big break was Where the North Begins. Lee wrote it himself, and when he pitched it to Harry... But uh, that's Harry Warner of Warner Brothers Studios, yes? Right. Uh, Harry loved Lee's script, and the rest is history. Your journey from pauper to prince of Hollywood is certainly a riveting one. <laughs> well... Lee may have exaggerated just a few of the details. <laughs> well, perhaps. And yet you truly command the screen in heroic fashion. Stunning, really. Well, thank you. I had a good time doing it. Every step forward was a gorgeous adventure, with Lee alongside at every step. I can't help but notice you still present a striking figure. Just dashing for a stud dog your age. And not just the usual impressive... Uh mature fella package you've got on display. <laughs> uh, so, you must still be fending off the ladies left and right. Oh, I have no doubt. If I walked back down Sunset Boulevard, I'd have a date for the night in a heartbeat. There's no shortage of flagging tails out there, even today. But you know, I'm content now. Settled down with someone I really love, and I wouldn't ever want it any other way. Say now, that is news! Who's the fortunate four-legged female who has finally captured the heart that captured the American spirit? Aww. Uh, perhaps it's a lucky male. No shame in that. Two studs together in love. So romantic. <laughs> well, you could always ask him yourself. Lee loves to give interviews, and he'll be back to the beach house shortly. Well, why would Lee know...
Whoa, 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 hold the phone! Slow down with me here a minute, you stunning stud! Do... do you mean your agent? A two-legger? Yes, very much so. Yes, yes, I do. Well, but Rinty, you're a star! You can have anybody! Women fawn over you! Men want to be you! Why would you settle for... well... nothing but a poor, hairless two-legger! When you can have anyone you want! Name the breed! Name the gender! All yours! All that tail! And you choose... no tail at all? What he's lacking in tail, he more than makes up for in heart. And you know, Lee's been a bedrock in my life. He helped me show the world what he has always seen in me. He was always my advocate, my supporter, my foundation. Coming home, really coming home, has always meant falling asleep at Lee's side. Don't get me wrong, the sex is great, and I've never been one to turn down an upturned tail, but all these guys and gals, they want me because I'm famous and gorgeous, and yes, anyone can see, and most everyone in the world by now has, that there's nothing lacking between my back legs, is there? <laughs> but, but Lee knows my truest soul like nobody else, and he sees something deeper. Lee loves all of me. He always has. Not just the knot that never stops and all the other tabloid cliches. He loves me for who I really am. Not 95%, but 100% of me. So, yeah, it's always been the two of us. Nothing changed when the fame came, and now all I want to do is spend the rest of my days with the man I love. Come to think of it, your agent was divorced a few years back from another big Hollywood elite, if I recall. Is that because... Oh, you know, I dearly love Charlotte, a beautiful woman and the only other person who appreciates Lee like I do. I can't put into words how much it pains me to know she had to suffer because of our love. I'll never truly understand it, but society places these expectations on two-leggers. And sometimes they go through the motions because they're expected to. Go to war, get married to a fine woman, have kids. Only, sometimes that gets in the way of what they already know is true. Other people get hurt because they couldn't be honest with themselves from the beginning. I just hate that a third person had to be harmed for us to be together. I truly, sincerely feel terrible for her because knowing the Lee that I know... I'd be devastated to have a man like that taken from me. She has my compassion, and more than that, my friendship and my love. It's certainly a different side of the Rin Tin Tin America knows and loves. The playboy, the sex symbol, the leading man heartthrob, the balls bigger than two moons that have sold out countless theaters just for a glimpse of those big boys on the big screen. And now, a romantic at heart. I've always been a romantic. Hollywood can blind you to what's really important in life but nothing has ever been more important to me than Lee. Wow, what an interview! Uh, thank you, Rinty, for this eye-opening and heartfelt conversation. Always a pleasure. And hey, don't think I didn't notice where your eyes were for half the interview. But Lee's busy for a little while longer. It's a beautiful day, and all this talk about the old days and endless dames... Let's just say I still know how to tie first try. Don't touch that dial, folks. Ask Zooey is up next, right after this. 
we were somewhere north of Fairbanks, near the edge of a sled trail, when his knot began to take hold. I remember feeling a bit lightheaded and saying to my lead dog, Whoa there, big fella! Take it easy now! My dog, you've got some drive! Suddenly, there was a wonderful roar of fluids pulsing inside my ass, and my voice began screaming, Holy Jesus, I love the cock of this fine animal! There was a heavy panting from above, and strings of warm drool rained down on the back of my neck. The snow beneath us began to melt, whilst the northern lights danced above in fantastic iridescent cascades as we continued to... Oh. Oops, wait a minute. This is my private journal. Uh, sorry folks, that's a story for later. Welcome back to Ask Zooey, the only place on the internet for premium cross-species dating advice. I'm your gorgeous host who you love the most, Zooey. And I'm a horny rat slut called Toggle. Remember folks, you can contact us with your own Zooey questions, either through Twitter at at AskZooey, or through the anonymous contact form at zoo.wtf. If it's a burning question in your heart, asking it could help somebody else out there just like you. While we get lots of emails every week, we do take time to read each and every one. Just because we haven't responded yet doesn't mean we won't soon. So let's not waste any more time and dive right on in. Our first question comes from a traveler on the tundra. Ah, a teamster from up north, perhaps. The traveler writes, Dear Zooey, I hear about there being a community of Zooey individuals, but I've never had any luck finding anyone else to talk about it. I'm not good at online interactions because I watched one too many 2020 specials growing up and developed a rather paranoid mentality about online interactions. In addition, I travel for work 90% of the time and I find it difficult to make lasting relationships with any species because of my travels. Any advice for the weary traveler on how to make lasting connections, human or otherwise? Ah, those classic 2020 specials on the dangers of online activity. The online landscape has changed a lot from when I was growing up. I remember when the idea of using your real name on the internet was seen as an unnecessary risk, and now it's required to use certain websites. And while there are certainly some valid concerns about being online and public with one's persona, those old programs like Dateline and 2020 definitely tended to blow things a little out of proportion, largely due to the fundamental lack of understanding of online interactions and a need to sensationalize fear. The tough thing about the zoo community is that, in this particular era of zoo history, it's largely online. The good news is that you can foster relationships with people based on common interests without needing to divulge personal information. The furry fandom is definitely a shining example of healthy, online interactions by way of online persona. Indeed. Here, all you need to know is that my name is Zooey, and I'm the most gorgeous Great Dane drag queen you'll ever meet. And we can have a perfectly good conversation from that alone. No need to know my zip code, where I went to school, or what my day job is. Furries also have a built-in social convention for meeting people in real life, in safe, public spaces that also don't require one to divulge personal information. Furcons. Incidentally, Traveler, these are also places to meet zoos in safe encounters since there is significant community overlap. Plus, there's a con in any given part of the world you may be traveling in at any given time, particularly if you were to venture down into the U.S. Remember, Traveler, when talking to people online, it is perfectly acceptable to say, I'm not comfortable sharing that information about myself at this time. <laughs> Preferably in less stilted phrasing, but yes. You mentioned behind the scenes that you fear people won't 
feel comfortable getting to know you if you've never divulged personal information. Now, I wonder about the degree to which you don't share information. If it's a matter of not wanting to answer the age-old question of ASL, then you may find that you're not expected to. If it's a matter of being afraid of sharing your favorite movies and video games for fear that someone might figure out who you are based on your likes, then yes, this is totally paranoia, and you're going to have a hard time fostering conversations in which you're unwilling to give even an iota of yourself. Break out of your shell, Traveler, because all relationships require that we give something of ourselves to the relationship. Now, this is a cross-species dating advice show, so let's not neglect the other glaring question. Traveling 90% of the time does make it largely impractical to form lasting relationships with animal partners of various species, but this also depends on the terms of your travel. I have a really good friend who travels for work constantly. Since he travels by personal car, he has a canine companion that travels with him. This does require stops at dog parks along the way for plenty of exercise, but it also means his partner is by his side at all times. This necessitates teaching your partner the etiquette of being around crowds of people and living in hotel rooms. It also means that he's chosen to give up the convenience of airplanes to travel by car. Another friend of mine spent time as a teamster on the road in a big sleeper cab. Canines seem to be paramours of choice for traveling zoos, but then again, it takes a certain kind of pooch that doesn't mind hanging out in a spacious sleeper cab all day. And again, it means you'll be taking frequent stops for exercise, which could interfere with how fast you make it from point A to point B. A growing number of traveling zoos are bringing their homes with them, opting to travel by camper, which opens up a lot of options for you and your traveling companion. This can be a more expensive option on the outset because of upfront costs and because of gas, but consider that you also don't have to pay for a mortgage on your house. The truth, though, is that the traveling zoo doesn't really have any options to form lasting relationships with horses, for instance, who require a stable to call home and a lot of time to care on site. Other animals about the farm are also out in terms of long-lasting relationships, so if you're not particularly attracted to canines, or if you fancy breeds that require lots of space and exercise, you might be out of luck until you're able to settle down. Also, if you travel largely by plane, that can complicate things, as traveling by plane is not currently a practical lifestyle for our four-legged friends. Traveling zoos have to remember that their partner's well-being always comes first, and that means making sure your lifestyle is able to accommodate a four-legged partner's needs. But rest assured, traveler, you can have a meaningful, mutually beneficial relationship while living on the road. Safe travels, traveler, and we hope you're able to begin making the zoo connections you need to make. Our next letter comes from Oral Lover in Orange County. Oral writes, Dear Zooey, my father taught me that when it comes to birds and the bees, it's my duty before I get off to make my partner come first. Bet he would have a heart attack knowing that I used that advice on my female animal partners. I truly believe that he was right in this regard though, as I find it very exciting to see my partner hit orgasm before I even penetrate but I'm having a problem that I hope you can help me with. For years, my partner was a sexy goat that I knew just how to hit all the right spots with my fingers and tongue. Now my partner is a lovely mixed breed bitch. I try doing the same things orally that I did with my last partner, but it just doesn't seem to be working. I truly wish to please her orally. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. Is this a common problem with zoos that change species? Please help. Oh, I love a man that puts his partner first in bed. Arr, me too. Your father definitely taught you well. Here's the thing though, Oral. Regardless of whether or not you change species, every woman is different, and they all like different things. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to Oral, 
which makes this question a little difficult to address. Nevertheless, we reached out to our oral experts for advice and hopefully this will be of use to you. It is true that every woman is different, but it's definitely true oral that a goat and a bitch aren't quite anatomically set up the same way. A canine's clitoris isn't in the same place, so if you're aiming for the same spots, you're likely going to miss it. A little foreplay does go a long way. With your partner standing, and with her consent, try gently squeezing her vulva by encircling it with your thumb and forefinger. Thumb on top, forefinger bent, and encircling the underside. You should feel her clit get hard, and she may hump your hand to encourage you to continue forward. Our experts recommend that smooching your pooch is easier with her lying on her back. Gently suck on her clit between your lips like a straw, then lick its underside. If she bucks her hips against your face or begins licking her chops, you're hitting the right spot. Well, we stress this every time, but it's worth stressing again. Listen to your partner. And remember that at any time, consent can be withdrawn. Furthermore, close attention to your partner's body language will help you gauge when you're hitting the exact right spot or whether you need to move just a little to the left or just a hair to the right. Again, no two dogs have exactly the same spot. So knowing exactly where your fingers need to go or where to focus your tongue isn't an exact science. Compared to a goat, though, you generally don't need to reach too far to find a canine's G-spot. She will definitely guide you, so pay attention. And for the love of dog, please mind your nails. Clearly, Aura, we experienced in knowing when a woman is having the time of her life and when she's just not into it. And remember, the other side of the coin is that not everyone likes oral. There's a chance your bitch just doesn't get off on it. With any luck, our advice leads to some very ecstatic zoomies in the near future. Though we've given you some basic pointers, always listen to your partner oral, and you'll never go wrong. That's all the time we have today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to answering all your zooey relationship questions next episode. Keep those submissions coming in. We'll see you next time on Ask Zooey. Same zoo time, same zoo channel. Thanks, friends, for listening once again to Zooier Than Thou. Next full moon, we want to talk about women in the community. But we feel wholly inadequate to cover this topic as a bunch of guys and a drag queen. Thankfully, we have a special guest host and some special interview guests joining us to give us the perspective we can't hope to give ourselves. It's going to be well worth wait. Don't miss it for anything. You can subscribe to the podcast via our RSS feed. Just point your favorite podcast client at rss.zoo.wtf and off you go! You can also find us on Spotify, YouTube, Alexa, and the one who must not be named. We're everywhere! Our podcast website is, yep, zoo.wtf. Twitter at Zooier Than Thou. And you can follow Zooey's naughty advice at AskZooey, Z-O-O-E-Y. Follow me, Fausty, at L-E-C-O-N-T-E-S-P-I-N-K. Toggle at one big grumpy rat. Those are all Twitter handles, not Instagram, because fuck Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) A reminder that we have a form that enables anonymous submissions to the podcast on our website, zoo.wtf. You can share with the world some of your Zooey wisdom. Ask Zooey for 10 hot insider tips on hot crumping action with your Mm -hmm. sexiest drafty boy. Or send us death threats from your home IP address. What could possibly go wrong? You can contact me, co-host Fausty, through my website, Fausty.org. Or you can whisper your secret in Mr. Peanut Butter's ear, and maybe he'll finally feel compelled to contact me. Zooier Than Thou wants to be free, man. Share it with everyone. P. 
peace, love, and podcasts. All non-humans involved in the production of this episode have been certified 100% free of performance anxiety. Did you know that crumping is a thing? I didn't. (laughs) I know what crumping is, and I'm really, really good at it. Be nice to each other. It's the sexiest, zooiest thing you can do. This is old man Fausty, and I am sitting here, Randy as a 16-year-old, thinking about crumping. Oh, and this is Toggle, and I know what I'm doing for the next half hour. And you've almost finished listening to Zooier Than Thou. Stay defiant, fellow zoos. We'll see you next time you feel like howling at the moon. <laughs>